Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Embrace. My name is Christina, and I'm one of our associate pastors. If you are new here this morning, I'm so glad that you have decided to come in and worship with us in this family that we call Embrace. Grateful to have all of you together here, and uh, just want to take a moment to orient you to the space. If you are new or if you have anything you would like to communicate with us this morning, this pretty bright blue card is a great way to do that, this Connect card in the pew in front of you. You can fill that out if you'd like to share your info with us or if you would like to meet with a pastor or learn more about volunteering or join a small group. Lots of great opportunities on this card. There's also a place for prayer requests. We keep those confidential with our, within our prayer team, um, but you do not have to continue to bear your burdens alone. We truly believe here that we bear our burdens together, and so we would love to pray with you. Um, if you did not pick up an announcement sheet on your way in this morning, they're at the welcome tables, and you can grab them on the way out. If you fill out a Connect card or would like to give while you're in the building this morning, you could put either of those things in the box at the back or to the side door. And without further ado, we will get started with worship. Good morning, everyone. I invite you to stand with me. Let's join in this call to worship. Let's prepare our hearts and our minds for what the Lord has for us this morning. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory.
good job Sherry on the drums. That was fun. <laughs> All right, join me in this, in this confession. We know that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. Let's transition into our gratitude and lament time. So I invite you to turn to a neighbor around you, maybe share something about your life. Um, could be a gratitude, something you're thankful for. Could be a lament, something um, you know either you're struggling with or something you see in the world that's just not sitting right with you. But yeah, share something with a neighbor. We'll uh, continue with some worship here in a few moments.
right, I invite you to stand with us as we continue to worship. Another one. I am free. I am free. Yes, I am free. Hell lost another one. I am free. 
my feet on solid ground. I thank the master and I thank the savior because you healed my heart and changed my name forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the master and I thank the savior and I thank God.
Y'all can have a seat. It's really, really good to be together today. Uh, my name is John Gallagher, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I just want to say welcome to each and every one of you. If any of you all uh, like to know more about Embrace, if you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out uh, to me or one of our other pastors at the church. Um, it is a really good day to be together. I know, uh, like, like myself, many of you all may be sleepy this morning. Losing that hour of sleep's no joke. Um, and so uh, hopefully we'll feel each other's energy and we can lift one another up this morning and just really feel God's uh, comforting and empowering presence with us today. What we're going to do now is uh, we're going to dismiss our children uh, for their time of learning in the Wonder Room. So if you are a child, four years old, all the way through fifth grade, then you're invited uh, to go upstairs for your own time of learning. Let's give the kids a hand as they come up. If you are a parent and you came with a child who is four years old through fifth grade in elementary school, then, uh, and you've never been to the Wonder Room and they've never participated in that, then I invite you to walk up with them and you can meet the leaders and make sure you have the correct kind of paperwork filled out and all that. And uh, so uh, we love our kids and we got such a cool uh, group of kids that get to go up every, every Sunday, except the first Sunday of the month. So as they're transitioning out, um, I'm going to get situated here. And in just a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. But before that, I just want to share one announcement that's actually not in our announcement uh, sheet for today. Um, but we'll send out an email about it uh, probably tomorrow. But we're going to host um, on March 26th, which is in two Sundays um, in the afternoon, we're going to host an informational gathering and also a feedback kind of session from you all. Um, kind of in regards to what's going on in the United Methodist Church right now, many of you all may not know that we are a United Methodist congregation here. We've got people who come from many different uh, traditions, um, but we are officially connected to the UMC. And you may not know this, uh, or you may know this, I don't know, but the UMC is going through kind of like a big split in many ways right now, and you've got a lot of churches that have been voting uh, to disaffiliate and leave the denomination, and there's been some right here in our city uh, that have voted already to disaffiliate. And you may be hearing some of this news if you're connected to any folks in the United Methodist Church. And what I'm noticing is there's a lot of uh, things being shared, a lot of messaging, and a lot of things that, that some of it is true, some of it's kind of half true, and some of it, in my mind, is not true at all. And so we want to make sure to have an opportunity to share with you all a little bit about that if you have any questions. 
Um, as we already shared with you all a couple weeks ago, our leadership team is not uh, discussing uh, disaffiliating, and so we are committed uh, for now to stay UMC, and we instead have been on a discernment process to really talk about the underlying issues, because within our denomination, there are some pretty deep disagreements over issues related to human sexuality and gender and faith, and our lead team has decided instead of talking about disaffiliation, we want to dig into those actual issues and talk about how we can best love and support people. And so we've been in a process of doing that. And so part of our session on that Sunday is that we're going to also invite some feedback um, from you all and maybe even in questions you all have about kind of our process and where we're at up until this point. We're not done yet, but we hope to be done uh, by the summer. And so we wanted to give you all an update kind of where we're at and also get a little bit of feedback from you all. And so that's going to be on Sunday, uh, March 26th, and it'll be in the afternoon um, from 3 to about 4.30, and we're probably going to do that in our chapel or maybe in the cafe. And we're also going to offer a Zoom option on Tuesday evening of that week on the 28th, and that will be at 8 p.m. on Zoom for those of you who can't come in person. Um, but we will send out an email with some details about that uh, probably tomorrow, and so be expecting that, and then we'll, we'll announce it again next week. But if you have any questions or anything, just let me know. I'd be happy to, to answer any of those beforehand. And what we're going to do now is we're going to spend some time in prayer. And so, like we do each week, um, if you'd like to kneel at the altar with me, you're welcome to come up and join me. Um, you're also uh, more, than, more than okay to stay in your seats and pray there as well. But um, I'll invite anyone who wants to come kneel at the altar to come forward now. And we'll just take a little bit of space to be silent and quiet and just breathe and Just invite God's spirit and God's presence to fill your mind and heart this morning. you're like me and you sometimes have a hard time kind of getting focused when you want to pray and spend time in God's presence, I encourage you just to focus first on breathing. Just take deep breaths in and out. Just be mindful and aware of God's spirit that is moving throughout this space. Filling our bodies, filling our hearts and our minds. God's eternal spirit that is always empowering and inspiring and lifting up and encouraging and challenging.
Lord, this morning we are so grateful for your love, for your never-ending and never-failing love. We are so grateful when all things around us seem to be failing sometimes or falling apart, that, that God, you are consistent, that you are sturdy, that you are stable, and that you are with us no matter what. We're grateful when we feel misunderstood or unseen or not valued that you look at us and you see us and you care and you love. We're grateful, Lord, when we are anxious and worried that you are that security for us, that we can come to you and know that that we are secure with you, that you don't waver, that you are trustworthy. We're grateful that, Lord, when we are sad and we are mourning and we are grieving and we are lonely, that you are our friend. A friend who is patient with us, a friend who isn't pushy, a friend who just loves. God, we are grateful that when we are lazy and apathetic and selfish, that, God, you gently and push us. You gently lead us, Lord, and invite us into a better way. God, we all come here this morning with lots on our hearts and minds. We come here this morning seeking something. And God, I pray that this morning that, that what we are seeking that we would find. And it may not be the answer that we thought we were looking for, but Lord, I pray that we would find it, that we would find what we are searching for. We are find what, what satisfies those deepest longings within our soul. And that we would find it in you. And that, God, you would speak a word of life to us this morning. In the midst of a dying and decaying world, it seems at times, Lord, I pray that you would speak a word of life. In the midst of this season of Lent, when we lament and we, we, we pay attention to the hard things, that you would speak a word of life. That perhaps we could even experience some joy as we share this moment together today. Maybe we could even dance in the midst of the darkness. Because we know, Lord, that you are a God who is with us through it all. And Lord, I pray that today we could become more aware of your sustaining and empowering and comforting presence that's with us always. And that, God, we would truly invite you into the center and, and of all that we are, and that everything, Lord, could flow from that, and that we could allow you, Lord, to lead us and guide us in the everyday small things that we have to decide and do, but also in the big things, and that, God, we could trust that you're going to be with us, even when it's hard. God, this morning, there is so much, so much on our minds and hearts as as is the case every time we gather together. And I just pray we could lay it all at your feet. And that, Lord, today we can learn to trust you more. 
Learn to trust in your goodness. Learn to trust that, that even your, your challenging calling that you've placed upon our lives, that it is a good calling. Help us, Lord, to trust in that narrow path that you have shown us. And God, I pray that we could borrow your eyes this morning, that we could borrow your ears, and we could see and hear and experience ourselves and one another in our world in the way that you do. We would not see things, Lord, with our eyes that are often only looking out for our own interest, but that we could see things the way you do, and we could love the way you do, even when it feels risky or scary or uncertain. There's a lot of unknowns out there, Lord, and, and I'm particularly scared of the unknown sometimes, as I imagine many of us are, but I pray that we would trust and be able to walk with you into the unknown, into the uncertain into even the darkness that, that lays in front of us and know that, God, the light of the world will be with us as our guide. Lord, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't even know what the rest of this day will bring. But, Lord, we are trying our best to believe that you are going to be with us no matter what. So, God, we believe this morning, but as the Scriptures say, uh, help us in our unbelief as we seek after you today. Help us, Lord, to feel and experience your grace and your goodness this morning as we continue on in our service. And now we join together and pray this prayer that Jesus taught us, his disciples, to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So today we're going to continue on in this series that we've been in, looking at the last week of Jesus' life, the, those days leading up to his crucifixion and then ending with his resurrection. And so, uh, you know, we, we're taking each week to kind of look at a different day in that last week of Jesus' life. Two weeks ago, we began this series, um, and, and it's been really good for me so far just to start to dig into it. You know, Jesus lived, you know, scholars think around 33 years or so, yet the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, spend a dis disproportionate amount of time talking about just really eight days in Jesus' life. Um, it's said that, like, you know, I think about 30% or so of the, of the Gospels are about just those eight days when Jesus lived, um, you know, he lived uh, many years, yet they spend a lot of extra time. And so this, this time has been come to be known as Holy Week, and Holy Week is coming up. It'll be um, towards the end of the month leading into the first week of April, and I'm really excited to get there. But what we decided to do is we're going to take the cue of the gospel writers and we're going to spend a disproportionate amount of time this year focusing on just these eight days in Jesus' life. And so um, each Sunday leading up until Easter, we're going to take one day and we're going to look at that particular day. And so um, today we're going to be looking at Tuesday, all right? And so um, I'm excited about that. Tuesday was one of those days in, in the last week of Jesus. I wasn't quite sure what happened on Tuesday until I started looking into it. 
Because, you know, I've always kind of known Palm Sunday and Monday, what happened then. And then, you know, you've got Monday, Thursday, and, and Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. I kind of get those. And, of course, Easter Sunday. But Tuesday was one I wasn't quite sure about. So let me recap really quick where we've come from. So two weeks ago, we looked at Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of the week. All right, and on that day, Jesus entered into Jerusalem. He had been on this journey toward Jerusalem, finally had arrived, and he entered in in dramatic fashion, riding on a colt with all these people from the country uh, along with him, shouting chants of Hosea, save us, blessed is this king and his coming kingdom. Then Jesus, on that Sunday, he came into Jerusalem. He went to the temple courts where the temple was located, and it says he just looked around at everything, and then he left. And he retreated to the city of Bethany, which is just right outside of Jerusalem, kind of like a suburb of the city. And he stayed there for the night. And so then they woke up on Monday morning, and Jesus and his disciples traveled back to the temple with his disciples. And then, we talked about this last week, he staged another very public and very dramatic thing, and this was even more so than the day before. He did this kind of direct action campaign where they went into the temple courts, and, and y'all maybe know the story if you were here, you heard it last week, but he turned over the money changers' tables, and he drove out the people selling the doves, and he stopped flow of traffic and economic activity for a period of time and really caused quite a scene in the temple courts that day. Now, the authorities in Jerusalem were already probably concerned and upset about what happened on Sunday when he came in on the cult and everybody's calling him a king. But then they were even more angry with Jesus after what he did on Monday in the temple. And they began looking, it says, for a way to kill him. Now, Tuesday, um, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark through this series. And so on Tuesday, we begin in Mark Chapter 11, verse 20. And Mark is really uh, a good one to read if you're wanting to know when the days begin and end, because he usually gives markers about kind of when the day ends and when the next day begins. And so in verse 20, we actually read, in the morning, as they went along. And so it's very clear that this is the next day, it's in the morning, and Tuesday has begun. And so a lot happens on Tuesday, actually. It's funny that I didn't really know what happened on Tuesday because Tuesday actually gets the most amount of verses out of all the days in the Gospel of Mark. There is a lot going on on this particular day. And so you may not know what happens on Tuesday, and we're not going to talk about all of it, but we're going to get into it just a little bit. So the basic theme of Tuesday, as I've read through it, and this is what I, I decided was the basic theme, is that we have increasing conflict with the authorities. When I say authorities, we're talking about kind of these religious slash political authorities in Jerusalem. And, and there's lots of different folks, and we're going to talk about some of them as we move along. But what basically happened is Monday night after the action is the, in the temple, they left the city again, and they spent the night outside town. But then Jesus and his disciples came back into Jerusalem and re-entered the city. And while in Jerusalem, all day on Tuesday, it seems, they, they were hanging out and spending time right outside the temple in, in what they call the temple courts. Now, the temple itself is not all that, was not all that big, but the temple courts covered a wide um, amount of space. And so there would have been lots and lots of uh, pilgrims who had traveled from all over the place during the Passover week there um, in the temple courts that day. 
And so you probably would have had rabbis out there teaching. There would have been all sorts of gatherings, lots of things going on. And Jesus was there. He was a teacher. And he was in the temple courts teaching the folks about different things. And so on that day, uh, I just think honestly, like, it shows how courageous and bold Jesus really was. I mean, Jesus knew what was going on. He knew people really wanted his life. That might have been one of the reasons they were spending time outside the city in Bethany early in the week, because maybe they didn't have a safe place to stay in Jerusalem because the authorities were looking for him. They were looking for a way to incriminate him. They were trying to find a way to arrest him and, and really do some harm to Jesus. And so for Jesus to be out in the open where everybody else was outside the temple just teaching on Tuesday after what he did on Monday, Jesus was a very bold and courageous guy. I'm not sure. I probably would have been hiding out in a house all day after what I'd just done on Monday in the temple. I mean, he had just blocked the flow of traffic when people were trying to do their economic activities. He had called the temple a den of robbers. I mean, he had angered a lot of people. He should have laid low, but Jesus, you know, he had another agenda. And so he was out there in public with the people, teaching and loving and guiding them. So while he was teaching throughout that time, you can read uh, through uh, the different stories that you'll find in the Gospel of Mark, but he was approached by a lot of religious um, kind of slash political authorities. And virtually all of them were very antagonistic with Jesus. Um, you can see in, in the different stories when Jesus is teaching, they come up and they ask him questions, and they're not really seeking answers. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to say something that might incriminate him. Um, they were smart people, these religious folks, but um, Jesus was smarter than them. And, and it's just kind of interesting how Jesus doesn't ever allow them to kind of get the best of him in these moments. And he's very clever in the way he deals with these authorities. You had folks like the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the scribes. They all keep coming to Jesus to try to stump him or cause him to say something that he would regret. But Jesus is very clever and cunning, and so he managed to avoid their tricks every time. And so what happened is they, they wanted to arrest Jesus, but they wouldn't do it in that situation because Jesus was out among the people. And what had happened, um, through a lot of my research, I'm finding that a lot of, not all, but a lot of the religious leaders had kind of been corrupted by political power. And so they had kind of gotten in, in relationships with uh, the Roman Empire, and there was a lot of money and power dynamics going on. And so your average people weren't very happy with some of the Jerusalem authorities. And so they didn't want to arrest Jesus right there in the midst of all that because a lot of the, pe the people were really with Jesus in many ways at that point. And so they, it says many times actually in these chapters that they did not do anything because they feared the crowds. And so Jesus was out with the people, but they wouldn't do anything at that particular moment, because they were probably worried about creating a riot or something like that outside the temple. So we're going to focus on just the last few verses in Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading from verse 38 through 44. And it will be on the screen if you want to open a Bible with me, you're welcome to do that also. But Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. And so I'm going to read these for you. As Jesus taught, he said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. 
They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. So I imagine some of you have heard this story. Sometimes it's referred to as the story of the widow's mite. Um, and, and it's a very interesting story. And I've heard it many times throughout my life. And it's often been used in churches around the time they're doing like stewardship campaigns. You know what those are when they're trying to get people to give money to the church. And they'll use this story as kind of a way to encourage people to give generously. And they'll say, you need to give like the widow. She gave everything and you've got to give sacrificially to support what we're doing here in the church. And I'm not trying to say it's bad motives, but I'm just saying this is what often happens. And the interesting thing is, as I was preparing to preach this sermon, I looked back to see when I had preached this sermon in the past. Surprise, surprise, I used it during one of those campaigns when we're trying to get people to give. And, uh, and so I look back and I'm like, well, that's interesting. And, and my basic idea was like, yeah, like God calls us to be generous with what we have, not just to give to the church, but to give to all sorts of things, you know, and like it's really God's money. And we got to think about how we spend it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with necessarily that kind of message. However, while there is truth to that idea, I must confess I think that I've got this scripture wrong in the past. And I'm going to explain why. I don't believe anymore that's exactly what this passage is all about. And let me explain to you how I've come to kind of a different understanding of this story. One thing that often causes us issues when we read the Bible, it can be helpful but also not so helpful, is that when you read the Bible, you'll notice there's headings above different sections of Scripture. And, and you'll have a heading, um, I think this one said something about the widow's offering. And, and so you'll see a heading over different sections, and it's actually, they were put in after the fact. These headings were not in the original text, but these have been added later to help us kind of reference things in the Bible a little easier, make sense of it. And so if I'm looking for a particular story, these headings help me because I can open it up and kind of see, oh, where does Jesus give the greatest commandment? Oh, where does Jesus uh, get tempted in the wilderness? And you can look at the headings and you can find it a whole lot easier unless it was just like a lot of like text, you know. However, these headings can also be misleading at times because what, can it, what it often can do is make us forget that like this is sometimes a continuous story and we look at one heading, and then we look at a different and think that Jesus is moving to something else. Now, let me explain what I mean. I'm going to put this on the screen. This is just an image from uh, BibleGateway.com or whatever, and this is like from the NIV. All right, and this is what I just read. And so today I read 38 through 44 in chapter 12. And when you look at your Bible, at least in the NIV, I'm not sure, I didn't look at all the translations. But these verses are divided into two different sections with two different headings. And looking at it, you may assume that these don't really go together, right? The first one is about warning against the teachers of the law, and the second one is focused on the widow's offering. But I actually believe they do belong together, and these headings sometimes can make us assume in our minds that these are two separate kind of things. Let me explain what I mean. In that first section, what I was reading is that you saw Jesus gave a warning about the scribes or the teachers of the law. 
Now, the scribes were very respected religious leaders, all right? They were the elite teachers. They knew their Bibles. They knew the history. They knew all of it. They looked important. They were probably really good public speakers. They, they lived very public lives. They received a lot of honor and praise and recognition. A Jerusalem scribe would be like the best of the best, you know, similar to like a prominent professor at like a prestigious school, right? They would get the seat of honor, respected by all. And Jesus said about them that they wore long robes, they were respected, they had seats of honor, and they prayed these long prayers. However, in Jerusalem, many of the scribes were also likely very wealthy and very powerful. Many of them were likely part of this group called the Sadducees, which were often um, a very elite group of people that had lots of money, lots of resources, owned land. And, and so you've got to understand that in the ancient world, and there's a lot of truth to this today, actually, to be very wealthy and powerful in the ancient world often meant that you had to take advantage of others in order to increase your lifestyle and worth. In the ancient world, a lot of the powerful people went and basically took land from people. And it became a society where a lot of your average person didn't have land to own, and they just had to work for the wealthy people. And so Jesus saw these scribes had the good appearance, they had the intelligence, they had the popularity, but he also saw that they were, in fact, leaders who had been taking advantage of other people. And he specifically called them out because they devoured widows' houses. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus meant here. Um, there's a few different arguments about what he could be referring to. It could be that these scribes were actually tasked to care for widows um, and, and manage their homes that they had for them because often women were not, it was assumed they couldn't manage them themselves, which is not true. Uh, but, but often the men, or these men would have to do this for them and they were tasked to actually care for these widows. And it could be that maybe they were taking advantage of them. Maybe they actually took their homes from them. It could be that they were just not caring for the widows in the way that they were supposed to. The Jewish law actually required that widows be taken care of and supported. Because a widow, after a widow lost her husband, would be in a very vulnerable place in the ancient world. And so these scribes may have been tasked with the job to care for them. But these particular leaders were accused of doing the opposite, of actually devouring them and hurting them and taking advantage of them. And so Jesus gave a warning in this first section that I showed you about the scribes and their treatment of widows. And then Mark tells us a story about a poor widow in the temple right after that. These two stories got to be related, right? There's something about the widow in the temple that is connected to the mistreatment of widows by the scribes in the verses that come before that. It seems clear to me that this passage isn't really about a generous widow whom we should imitate, though she has qualities we can imitate, but it's really about the way the powerful scribes were taking advantage of others, specifically the way they failed to care for the widows in their community. Now think about this with me. Jesus had just called out the scribes for causing financial hardship on widows in Jerusalem. And then Jesus draws attention to a poor widow in the temple. This woman may well have been one of those very widows that had been taken advantage of by those scribes he was just calling out. And so Jesus sat there by the treasury watching all the wealthy people bring their large amounts of money to contribute to the temple. They likely had 
big heavy coins and lots of them. And when they threw them into the treasury, it would clank around and make lots of noise and make them look really good and really generous. And as Jesus was watching them, he saw a poor widow come and put her money into the treasury, two copper coins. These coins were called lepta in Greek. It was the smallest currency available, worth very, very little, not much of anything. And Jesus points out and draws attention to the fact that she was living in poverty and that she gave all that she had to the temple, which wasn't very much. For much of my ministry, I thought Jesus was just telling us we got to be like her and give everything we have, right? However, when we consider the warning he gave before that about the scribes and how they looked religious yet took advantage of widows, devouring them with their harmful practices, I think we can interpret this story a little bit different. Perhaps Jesus is drawing attention to this poor widow because he wants us to see something here. Perhaps he's drawing attention as a way of confirming to what he had just said about the scribes, that they devour the widow's houses. They take advantage of them, leaving them with basically nothing. And then these scribes are expecting these same people that they take advantage of to give the very little they have to the temple, which enabled the temple to continue some of the harmful practices it was engaged in, right? I've come to believe that this isn't a story. It's not just a quaint story about a woman given sacrificially, but I think it is a serious critique of an unjust system that care, failed to care for the vulnerable and, and really expected people to give out of their poverty. The fact that the widow had only two lepta ought to tell us something about the failure of these particular scribes who failed to fulfill their responsibility to care for widows, orphans, and strangers among them. The reality is there shouldn't have been a woman with just two lepta to her name, and she should not have felt compelled to give everything she had to a temple that was hurting her in the first place. This reading really fits, I think, with the entire kind of section of, of the readings on Tuesday um, that we're looking at in Jesus's last week, because it's a day full of conflict with the authorities, many of whom had failed miserably at shepherding their flocks and caring for the people. Many folks looked religious and smart and put together in public, but as Jesus pointed out, at the same time, were taking advantage of other people and failing to care for the most vulnerable people in their community. You know, as we move through Jesus' last week, I hope it, I imagine it's becoming more clear to you why the authorities wanted uh, to execute Jesus. I mean, he was publicly rebuking their values and their alignment with the empire through, his, through the entry into Jerusalem, through what he did in the temple the next day when he turned over the tables. And then the next day on Tuesday, he's publicly exposing them over and over for their unjust and harmful economic practices by drawing attention to folks like this poor widow among them. You know, the, I'm just gonna, I've said this before, but the most pushback I ever received in this church in the last few years, is that my sermons can sound political sometimes. And, and I've been told, John, politics should not have anything to do with church, all right? And I understand why people think that, because when you turn on the news and you watch political discourse, it is chaotic and ridiculous and, and just flat-out foolish at times, right? I understand that. I don't think any of that needs to be part of our conversation in church Either I don't think the partisan politics and power moves of our society today really don't have any place in church. 
However, I don't think about politics that way. Politics ultimately is about how we structure our lives together in community, how we're going to organize society so that we're really pursuing the common good, so that everybody has access to things that lead to flourishing and life and goodness, right? That's what we're trying to do, and that matters because that affects people's lives, and it affects particularly the vulnerable people's lives more than others because the powerful always usually come out okay. But the way we do politics ought to reflect our values and the way that Jesus taught us to care and love all people, right? And so, you know, this kind of stuff's all over the Bible. If you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus talked about this kind of stuff. And as we're seeing, even in his last week, he's challenging the authorities in the way they're structuring their society because they're hurting other people in the process, right? And, and a question I've pushed back at times is if Jesus wasn't political, why did the political authorities execute him? Like, why would they have any reason to do that if Jesus wasn't saying or acting in any way that was political, right? Well, I think that they executed him because he directly challenged their harmful practices. And he came proclaiming and embodying a whole different way of structuring our life together as God's people. And, and it wasn't a way that some people wanted to see happen because it meant that they would have to give up something and change. In our book study that we're doing on this book, The Very Good Gospel by Lisa Sharon Harper, we are learning that the good news of Jesus is way more than just personal salvation and forgiveness of sin. It's way bigger than that. The good news of Jesus is that God's kingdom is coming. And that in God's kingdom, there is shalom, this biblical peace that means everybody's taken care of. That there's no poverty in God's kingdom. That poor widows don't exist in God's kingdom. Because everybody has enough and all are cared for in God's kingdom. And the religious leaders, Jesus had a hard time with them and pushed back on some of them. He wasn't pushing back on all Jews because Jesus was Jewish himself. He loved his faith. But he was pushing back on some of the leaders that had gone astray and weren't shepherding and caring for their flocks in the way God wanted them to. The job of the leaders in the community was to ensure God's shalom was being enacted here on earth. The Bible talks, refers to that as shepherding the flock with justice. That's a scriptural idea. They were entrusted with this great responsibility of ensuring that the most vulnerable were safe and well. And Jesus came inviting all to hear the good news that God's shalom was near and that all were invited to live differently in the here and now, partnering with God to bring that shalom here on earth, right in the here and now. And some people don't like hearing that kind of news. They don't like, that's not good news to everybody. That's terrifying to some because many of us don't want to change. We don't want to have to think about the common good. We want to focus on our own good, right? We don't like hearing about this new kingdom. The greedy and powerful did not want their shameful practices brought to life. And Jesus, though, was so passionate about the, his God's kingdom of shalom that he was willing to bring his message of light and love and care into the darkest places where evil and injustice reign. And he took it to the very heart where he saw the corruption was the worst. And his passion for God's kingdom eventually led to his passion on the cross. And I hope that over this series, you're going to see that there were a lot of things going on and Jesus' message was not received because 
it was such a beautiful message of hope and light that, that when there's a lot of darkness and a lot of things that are moving against it, they don't want to see that. And my hope is that, um, is that I, maybe even just a fraction, uh, that, that I can be as passionate about God's kingdom as Jesus and have that kind of courage to continue proclaiming it and partnering with God to see this kingdom um, come in the here and now. And I think that's ultimately why Jesus was willing to give his life, because he wanted to see God's peace and God's love and God's shalom available to every last person on this earth. And we don't just sit back and, and wait for God to do it one day. I believe God has invited each and every one of us to partner with him to see this happen in the here and now, right among us today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to share communion uh, this morning. We do this each week, and, and communion is such a powerful time to, to really think and reflect each week on what God really stands for, what God is about. You know, we're reflecting on Jesus and, and what Jesus lived for what Jesus was willing to die for, and, and what Jesus' spirit wants to continue doing in the world today. And uh, Jesus, ultimately, as we're, as we're seeing, Jesus gave his life for a vision of love and peace in this world. And he's inviting all of us to be a part of that. If you all bow your heads with me just for a moment. God, we are so grateful to be here in your presence this morning. We're so grateful to, to see each other's faces and be lifted up by this community. We're so grateful, Lord, that we have been on a journey together of, of unlearning a lot of things that, that maybe we're realizing weren't, weren't right about you and about ourselves and about one another. And also learning together about how we can truly follow you in this crazy world that we live in. And God, we need you so much. We need your nourishment and your strength for every step of the way. And so God, I pray that as we share communion this morning that, that you would nourish our spirits. I know many people here are discouraged right now. They're discouraged because it seems like your shalom is not... It's not very prevalent among us. We're, we're seeing lots of things happening around us in our city and our state and across our, all across to the ends of the earth where, where violence and, and hurt and, and lies and manipulation and all these things are, are, are rising up and, and seem to be taking over. And we're, and we're discouraged sometimes and it's hard to keep moving. It's hard to stay passionate about your kingdom. God, I just pray that you would sustain us this morning, that you would fill those folks up who are feeling discouraged and beat down, and you would speak words of life and truth to them, that as they take this bread and juice, that, that it truly would be the body and blood of Christ, and that it would fill us up in a fresh and whole way, and that we would leave here feeling different because we've encountered you, the living God. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in us and through us. And for those of us who have maybe 
been, been selfish lately and we've been so inward focused and we're not thinking about your, your common good or we're not thinking about this idea of shalom and, and peace for all that, that God, maybe this could be a wake-up call for us today where we open our eyes a bit more to see the invitation to, to spread your goodness, to spread your goodness in our lives and in our communities. Maybe even get into some uh, holy or, or godly trouble, uh, stirring up stuff for the sake of the kingdom as we, as we stare down the so many unjust policies and, and laws and agendas that are being laid out before us even now. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just meet us here in this moment. Remind us who we are. Remind us that we are your children. And that you love us so, so much. And help us to have the courage to continue marching forward because we know we, we have you with us, Lord. That we're not alone. And that you've been there before. And you know what it's like. And that you're going to be with us. Even in the darkest places and even on the highest mountaintop. We can't go anywhere to escape you, Lord. And I pray we would embrace that as good news. That we could get more in line with what you're about. And what your values and your hopes for us and for others is. Lord, we need you so much. I pray your Holy Spirit would be present with us as we share communion together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you don't have a communion cup, Rick has the basket in the back. You can just raise your hand and he'll, he'll be happy to bring you one. But I ask you all to go ahead and go ahead and get out the little wafer. For those of you who are worshiping at home or wherever you're at this morning, whatever food or drink you've set aside for this purpose, I encourage you just to, to get that out and get it ready. But I encourage you to take and eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. You can take and drink. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. going to spend some time worshiping as we end our service. I encourage you to connect with God in whatever way you need to this morning. The altar is open if you'd like to kneel and pray here. I see Rick in the back and he'd be happy to lift you up in the back. He's a member of our prayer team. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'll just be sitting over here. Just come find me. I'd be happy to lift you up as well. But let's just spend some time with God before we end our time together.
As you're able, let's all stand together for our benediction. Before I send you all out, I want to tell you a couple of things. Uh, for one, next week, I'm excited because we are going to start, restart, uh, taking communion again by using a common loaf and a, a chalice. Uh, and for some of you, that may be exciting. Some of you are like, I'm not ready for that, uh, the germs and all that. Um, you've probably seen in the announcement sheet, um, if you've read that, there's more description about what that'll look like, um, but we are going to have that option to come forward and take communion uh, with the loaf and the juice, but
but there will also still be the cups available in the back for you to use those if you would like, and there's not going to be any judgment. Whatever you choose, um, we're going to share it together in that way. Um, do we still need a couple more volunteers? And we need two more volunteers who would be willing to be communion servers. Um, this is not a hard job, but it is an important job, and it is a serious job. And so if you're interested in doing that, then we would love to talk with you about that and kind of um, there'll be a, a light training on how to do that appropriately um, um, as you move into that new role. But I'm really excited about that. And so um, that is the, the big thing I wanted to remind you all about. And so I encourage you all to um, let us know if you're willing to, to help with that. And, s- and also, the last thing I do want to say is I haven't mentioned this um, specifically yet, but we do have these beautiful pieces of art um, around the perimeter of our room. And they all represent one of the days of kind of the last week of Jesus' life. And so I encourage you to read the scriptures, reflect on them. There is a a statement here on either side that tells a little bit more about iconography and how you can use those as a form of prayer. And um, so I encourage you all to to dig into that and to spend some time looking around. Emily Posey uh, created these for us, which is really awesome. And then our team of Emily, Felice, Christina, and I have been meeting to, to kind of help put all this together, and, and we're really excited. So these can be kind of a, just a meditative way for you to encounter these uh, last days of Jesus' life as we move through this season of Lent. And so it's so exciting to have this beautiful art to help us connect with God in a deeper way. So if you all prepare your hearts to receive the benediction, may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.